0: Okay, so talking about the, uh, the kids' movie, right, that we watched two weeks ago... And how it was this great example of, like, this labor of love that we uh, pulled together. I think the number was, like, 75 people from all over our community and our church. Uh, and we got to experience that, uh, that huge thing that was able to come together. Uh, and that was, like, one exploration of what community looks like, right? And then uh, last Sunday, Pastor Andrew uh, was preaching about how Paul uh, lived life not just with God, but also with people. And then next week, uh, Miguel is going to be uh, preaching about worship and talking also about the worship album that has been coming together for so long, uh, and that, similar to the, to the movie, is this awesome labor of love and just an example of how Community Works lived out, right? So um, we've been getting these snapshots of community all summer, and uh, I'm going to be digging into that a little bit more this week. So uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Um, That would be great. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, John would love to help you out. Um, And if you're taking that Bible, uh, the passage will be, it should be on page 320. I need to turn there too. Great. So, yeah, Uh, again, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 7 through 16. So Ecclesiastes is sort of a crazy book to just jump right into when we haven't been there and explored it at least in a while as a church, right? Uh, It's probably my favorite book in the Bible, um, but it's also far and away the most depressing, pessimistic book in the Bible. And that probably says something about me as a person, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, You can chat with me about that later if you're concerned. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, as... uh, As we look at this book, and it's important to to look a little bit at the context of Ecclesiastes, right, Um, so that we can figure out what this passage in chapter 4 has to say for us. So the author of Ecclesiastes tells the story through the eyes of a guy who he calls the teacher. Uh, And the teacher is a wise man uh, who throughout the book we're able to see his journey to uh, seek out uh, sources of joy and purpose and meaning in his life. And his continual conclusion, as he does this journey, uh, no matter what he tries, and this is why the book is so depressing, is that nothing in life is really important or lasting. Or at least, it's all meaningless apart from God. He tries amassing wealth and power, and he tries working really hard, putting himself into, uh, you know, just succeeding in the eyes of the world. He tries seeking pleasure in all the places that the earth promises that we should be able to find it, And he even tries pursuing wisdom, which is uh, something that's good, right? That even the Bible talks about as something that we should be seeking uh, and that is a good thing. But apart from God, um, even those good pursuits, he finds that everything on earth is meaningless. Um, And depending on which translation you're reading, uh, you'll find the word uh, meaningless or futility or vanity 38 times uh, in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. So it's kind of like a main theme word, right? And we're going to see it three times just in this uh, little snippet of chapter 4. So that's what we're launching into. So get ready. Um, However, part of this conclusion also is that we ought to enjoy the small things that God's given us. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we see him explore community, as one of those sources of joy uh, in, you know, an otherwise uh, bleak world. So uh, let's go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse 7. We'll go until the end of the chapter. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7 reads, Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches." Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. And I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. And there's no limit to all the people who were before them. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. All right. Is anyone sad yet? Show of hands? No? Just? Okay. I knew it. Okay. Um, so great. I'm glad that not too many of you guys are. We'll find some rays of sunshine as we explore this passage, and maybe you're not sad because you've seen, right? Um, community is something that we're going to see Uh, God's given us kind of as a a protection against uh, the way that the world is. So um, this passage breaks down pretty easily into three sections, uh, and each one gives us a different snapshot of a person uh, who's engaging in community in a different way. Uh, So let's start with this first section, right, verses 7 through 8, and I'm going to call this person the lonely person, great, Um, or the person who idolizes work. And it says here in verse 8, right, that they are without even a son or a brother. Uh, So it's implying that they have no family, probably no friends, right? Um, But it also leaves it open that maybe they do have family or or they used to have friends. Uh, But it implies that for one reason or another, they've cut them off or they don't have great relationships with them, right? So they have no one to share their wife with. Uh, we see that they're working hard, that they're seeing fruit from their labor. Verse 8 also implies that you know they've achieved some level of wealth and success in the things that they've been pursuing. Uh, but it also says that they're not content with their riches. There's always something uh, more to be had or uh, there's someone else that's more wealthy and more powerful than them. Or there's something more that they don't have or even that they aren't able to attain. Right? That there's something that's outside their reach. And eventually we catch them crying out in the end of this section, who am I struggling for and depriving myself of good things? And You can feel the emptiness in this person's heart as he's just like grasping for any semblance of meaning or joy or purpose in his life. But uh, it says here, right, in the end it's just futile. It's miserable work. Now, this as I've read it, has to be one of the most relevant passages uh, to the Bay Area in all of Scripture. That's all I could think as I was reading this, right? Uh, I I read it, and it's like, it feels like the cry of so many people that I've talked to that are just caught up, uh, like, neck deep in this crazy, busy, competitive culture that somehow I think a lot of us have just grown comfortable in, almost kind of numb to the way things are. And I saw this most clearly when I was on staff with crew uh, at UC Berkeley, Uh, When I first moved here five years ago, that's what I was doing Uh, before I started working at Solano and uh, was mentoring a lot of the students there. That was a big uh, portion of my job. And the environment of that campus, uh, especially as I experienced it from the outside looking in, uh, and I'll also say the environment of the campus as it reflects uh, the Bay Area as a whole, um, was just so intense and so competitive and so stressful, right? It draws people from all over the world who have uh, worked hard their whole life. They've been at the top of their class. Uh, you know, the, the smartest person maybe uh, among their peers growing up. Uh, and they've, uh, they've made it. They're here. They're at one of the best universities in the world. And they're, they're going after that dream job that they've wanted forever. Uh, but as I've interacted with students when they're in school, in the middle of that grind, uh, so many of them were just, like, miserable and, uh, you know, they're just so caught up in their studies because it's all that they've ever been told matters, and they can't pull themselves away from it long enough to just enjoy life with people, right? Uh, when I was on campus, my, my job was to hang out with students, but, like, it was like pulling teeth to try and get them to, to come away from their studies long enough to to grab coffee or to come to church on a Sunday morning or just to get out of their dorm and, like, get some fresh air, Right. Um, And I have to say also, like, I went to, uh, personally, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for my undergrad, and uh, I was in crew there, and it's not that way (laughs) and slow. It's like the opposite, right? (laughs) Um, You're laughing because you know. Um, It's, like, super easy, honestly, to convince people uh, on, like, a Tuesday to go to the beach. It's like, yeah, sure, why not? I don't have anything better to do. And, and not that that's what I'm saying, like, is the solution for Berkeley students is that they need to cut more class. But I'm just saying that, like, this intensity, it's unique to the Bay Area. It's not this way everywhere, right? And, again, it's not just a UC Berkeley thing. Uh, it's, it's a Bay Area-wide thing. Uh, and I also saw this when my wife and I first moved to the Bay five years ago. Uh, my wife, Melody, worked her first three years in this job in San Francisco, Uh, that worked her honestly just about uh, to the point of depression. And uh, it was just a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends, a lot of just endless, thankless work. And as she looked around at the other people in her office, uh, especially the executives, the senior people, the partners who uh, had worked their way up in the company, uh, she saw the same trends that we see in this passage. Right, Uh, There are people who had worked hard. Uh, they were wealthy and they were powerful uh, they'd made it by the world's standards, and they were exactly the kind of people they, like they were in exactly the place that so many of the Berkeley students that I work with like want to be in twenty or thirty years. Uh, but they had very little relationship with their families. Um, they're constantly stressed and like married to work and uh, just wrapped up in succeeding and, and doing good like they 've built this as their thing in life, right. Uh, and they don't have people around them, and they just generally weren't happy people. So for so many people, that's the end result of this Bay Area grind, right? Uh, Is that it just ends up just like the person in this passage. Who am I struggling for? and depriving myself of good things. And I don't want to minimize the importance of work either, right? Because uh, God designed work to be a good thing. He calls us to work hard. Um, and it, it's something that we should do, but it has to be in balance, right? Like it can't be, uh, everything, uh, that we're seeking after. So, uh, yeah, I just challenge you guys, you know, what are the things that you're working for? Are they valuable? Um, are they worth the, the energy that you're putting into them? Uh, do they have eternal value and are they going to be the kind of things that can bring, uh, that kind of lasting joy and fulfillment? So uh, we can move on to the next section here, right? Uh, Verses 9 through 12, um, we're seeing a different person. Uh, And I'm going to call this guy the independent person uh, or the one who's in community. Uh, And this guy stands in direct contrast to the, the lonely person, right, in the passage before. And I think it's designed this way, right, as a contrast. The author is setting this up so that we can see the stark difference between life lived in isolation and life lived with people around you. Uh, So this section sort of is like an answer to a problem almost posed in the last section. And he says in verse 9 that two people will have a good reward for their efforts, which is interesting, at least as I receive it, right? It almost sounds like an economic term, uh, like that these two people will do better in business or turn a better profit or something like that. Uh, But that can't be what's being talked about here. Uh, Because we've already explored in the book of Ecclesiastes, and already even in this section, uh, that wealth and material success are meaningless. So in verse 9, as he says, you know, that two will have a good reward for their efforts. What he's actually talking about here is just the joy and the fulfillment that companionship brings, uh, that you can't get in other places in your work and success, right? And then in verses 10 through 12, he goes on uh, to illustrate this with a couple of proverbs. He says, two people can lift each other up when they fall, Uh, they can warm each other when they're cold, and they can defend each other against attackers. And then in the really well-known proverb at the end of verse 12, this is kind of like one of those wedding verses, right, that a lot of us have probably heard, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And here he's just expanding. He's implying that, you know, two is better than one, but three gives even more strength than that, right? So he's showing just how much of an advantage there is to surrounding ourselves with people who can make us stronger. And the reality is, um, you know, when when hardships come in life, and and they always do, whether it's illness or failure or losing a job or family problems or uh, death of friends or loved ones, no matter how much wealth or power Uh, that you've gathered for yourself, um, it's not going to be able to protect you from the pain and the brokenness in the world that's going to come. So, your job, for example, can't pick you up when you fall in a pit, right? Um, It's not going to be able to speak words of encouragement to you uh, when you're having feelings of inadequacy, especially if those feelings of inadequacy are because of your job, or because of something related to your career, which, honestly, as as I've seen it, is where so many of those feelings come from for, for so many people. Uh, and then similarly, right, your, your, your savings account uh, isn't going to be able to keep you warm. It's not going to be the one that hangs out with you in the hospital uh, when you're sick or when you're hurt, right, when you're lonely. And all that nice stuff that you have isn't going to protect you from the wickedness of people, um, it actually is kind of the other way around, where the, the more stuff that you have, uh, the more of a target you are, the more you have to lose, uh, and the less people that you have around you, the more vulnerable you're going to be when something inevitably does happen, right? And then also, as I looked at this language in verse 12, uh, in different translations use the words, uh, the two can defend themselves, uh, they can resist, or they can withstand an attacker. I'm immediately reminded of spiritual warfare, uh, because the, the New Testament, right, uh, Paul and, and so many others use this kind of language about uh, withstanding, standing firm against the enemy, right? And, and when Satan comes and starts messing with you and trying to get involved in your life and tearing you down, uh, those are the kind of things especially that we can't handle on our own, that we, we need people around us praying for us and speaking words of encouragement, uh, lifting our spirits, right, when all of these things happen. Um, and I also think that it's worth mentioning here uh, that even if you're married or in a relationship of that sort, uh, that, you know, obviously that can provide some level of the support. And that relationship is, is going to do uh, more for you than any other single relationship, a, a friend or a, a brother or anything that you would have, right? Um, but you'll, you'll still need other people around you in your marriage, right? And, and an obvious example of that is, like, who do you turn to when things in your marriage aren't going well? Um, so... Yeah, even though, like, marriage, you know, can be, like, the most important relationship in your life, even marriage isn't meant uh, to be this kind of thing that we can do in isolation either. Um, so, yeah, what are the things that you've put in your life as safeguards against the brokenness of the world around us? What are the things that you're trusting in to sustain you when things get hard? And this is why we talk about home groups so much as a church, right? Uh, We see the value in having a group of people uh, that you can meet with week in and week out and just do life together with. And Emmaus partnerships uh, similarly kind of provide that same type of accountability and support. Uh, just like in a, a smaller, more intimate setting. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Emmaus in a bit. I'm going to come back to that. Um, but if you aren't in a home group or in, a, in an Emmaus group, uh, I definitely encourage you guys to look into it. Uh follow out a welcome card that, that Dave was showing off earlier, uh, or come talk to me or someone else on staff, and we'd be thrilled to help you get connected. Um, so, yeah, uh, moving on, uh, we'll move into this third and last section, uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, And here we're going to see two people being talked about, uh, the poor but wise youth and the old but foolish king. Uh, And these two are contrasted much in the same way that the lonely person uh, in our first part uh, was contrasted with uh, the person in community. Uh, So we're going to focus on the poor but wise youth. We're going to call this guy the humble person uh, or the one who takes advice. And there's, there's a little bit of a transition in theme as we move into this section, right? It isn't talking as much about work and accomplishments as it is before. Uh, it's talking more about wisdom and power as those things that we can put our security in. But we can tell that it's still intended as a part of the same passage, right? Like this whole section is meant to be read together. Um, it's not quite as obvious, but you can see that there's this, this theme of community that continues to run through this section as well. Uh, we notice that the key difference between the youth and the king, uh, the reason that the youth is called wise while the king is called foolish uh, is because of the way that they receive counsel, the way that they do life with people, right? The, the youth is wise because he takes the advice of others, and the the king is foolish, as it says, because he uh, no longer pays attention to warnings. So it's really just another extension, right, of the way that they're doing life with people, And what else is interesting here uh, is this is a different case study. It doesn't say that the king doesn't have community. Like, we can actually assume that he does. Most kings probably do, right? They have their their royal family, maybe their friends. They probably even have advisors that they can, like, ask for help from. Um, So we can assume that he has these things. Uh, But the problem is that he's not leaning on them for the help and advice that he needs. Uh, He thinks that he knows what's best, right? Because he's done so much on his own or whatever, but the youth, uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, he acknowledges his shortcomings. Uh, he knows he needs the help of people around him. And because of this, he succeeds, he takes the throne. You know, it's implied that he has this great reign. So here we see another benefit of having people around us, right? That we need them to grow, to learn, and just generally to succeed in life. Yeah, growing in isolation, just it doesn't happen. It isn't a thing, Right. Uh, And to maximize our ability to grow, it's best not just to surround ourselves with people, uh, but also to surround ourselves with people who are different from us and can challenge us uh, with different perspectives. We're not going to grow if the people that we surround ourselves think exactly like us and can't help us to learn, right? Uh, We don't just want to surround ourselves um, with people who are never going to challenge us if we're wrong. So whether that means people of different cultures or backgrounds, uh, in this passage it kind of implies that age, you know, different ages can bring different perspectives um, or even different religions. I think that it's important uh, as Christians, right, if if, if you're a Christian and you only surround yourself with Christians – then you're not going to be able to learn and engage well with the culture, the, the rest of the community around you, right? Um, so we see that there's from this benefit from learning from others, from being, doing life together with all kinds of people. Um, and this passage, as I already mentioned a little bit, puts a particular emphasis on age as it contrasts uh, the old king with the poor youth. And I've seen a lot of instances of people thinking that they know best and, uh, uh, yeah, not acknowledging uh, the things that a a younger or a different perspective can bring. Uh, And I've definitely been guilty of this uh, myself as I've worked a lot with college and and high school students uh, that I'll I'll get myself sometimes in this mindset of of how much I have to give and not acknowledging what they have to offer, right? Um, Not everyone's this way. I'm not always that way even. Uh, But I think that this mentality seeps into... Uh, the culture of discipleship that we have in the church as a whole, uh, where we have this this idea, right, of uh, discipleship is an older person who is pouring out into a younger person, uh, giving them all this knowledge and all of this wisdom, uh, as if the, the older person has all the answers. And then the younger person grows a ton, but the older person doesn't really get anything out of it. Like, they have to spend all of this energy giving of themselves, but they they don't really receive anything back from the relationship. And I think that this is a really poor caricature of what discipleship is supposed to be. The king's downfall, right, was that in all of his age and experience, he didn't think that others had anything valuable to offer him. It doesn't say that he wasn't smart. It didn't, you know, that he didn't have valid experiences or opinions or knowledge. Uh, He probably did have all of those things as king, um but his downfall was thinking that he knew it all and that he didn't need other people. So this passage ought to be a warning for all of us to respect and value uh those that are younger, those that are otherwise different from us, right? Uh and to just humble ourselves to a place where we can learn from them. So I said a little bit ago that I was gonna throw it back to Emmaus partnerships. Um so here it is. Uh yeah, and, and again, right, home groups are great, and I encourage people to get involved with those if you're here, uh, if you're a part of the Solano family, or you want to be, and you're not in a home group yet, like, definitely uh, seek that out. Uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about are lived out in home groups in a really incredible way, uh, but I want to talk uh, about Emmaus because it's something that not as many people uh, are doing um, in the church, or at least here. Um, Yeah, so, and also Emmaus partnerships, for anyone who doesn't know, is is basically Solano's term uh, for what we could really generally call discipleship groups. But I think it's important that we talk about discipleship broadly, uh, not just as this like top down teaching, mentoring relationship that we talked about before, right? Um, Like it, it can be that, but even in that, there needs to be humility, like we were saying. But it can also be peer relationships, peer discipleship, right? Or multi-generational even. Um, And also, yeah, it's it's anything that deepens our discipleship uh, to Jesus, right? And that's another thing that I think it's important for us to reframe is that discipleship isn't just discipleship uh, to another person, but it's discipleship like with another person to Jesus. Like that's at the core of discipleship as it's used in the Bible, that's what discipleship is, right? And there's a ton of different ways that this can look. Uh, There's not just like one cookie cutter style. So it was my goal this morning to be able to have a few people that are doing this in different ways in the church kind of come up and share uh, their experiences, a bit of what they're doing. But for time's sake, unfortunately, uh, I decided against it. But... I do really think that what they're doing is valuable for us to to see and to think through as we figure out what this could look like. Uh, So I just had them share with me a little bit of what they're doing so that I could summarize so that you guys still have these examples to kind of pray through and think through. Um, So uh, one group uh, that I know of uh, is Jason Lau, Rob Hansen, and Judah Iowaki. And and some of you guys probably know them, right? Um, Rob's in his early 30s. Jason's in his early 40s, and they've been meeting uh, every Wednesday or Thursday morning. It's kind of changed over the years, right? But they've been doing this Bible study uh, early morning before work every week for years. And about a year ago, they invited Judah, who's going to be a senior in high school next year, to join their group. And what I love about what they're doing is that they're all different seasons of life, right? Uh, Jason's been married for a little while. Uh, Rob is getting married pretty soon, which is fantastic, uh, and then, yeah, so he's kind of just a few years behind Jason in life stage, right, and then Judah is also not married, um, (laughs) Judah is not, he's, he's a little farther out even than, than Rob from, from that, so, uh, but uh, they all bring different things to the group, right? And Jason shared with me how he has been encouraged since Judah's joined of, like, the questions that he's asking and the perspectives that he brings to conversations that they just didn't have before. And it's gotten Jason excited about seeing more Solano youth and college students. I'm looking at you guys now, right? Getting connected with community outside of just the youth group and the college group. So, so I love what they're doing. Um, another group that I've thought of is two women in our church, uh, Lauren Tong and Jen Chin. And a few months ago, uh, Lauren was looking for someone to mentor her as she looked to make the transition from being a full-time student into uh, the working world. And she, she came up to me on a Sunday and she asked if I knew how discipleship worked at the church because she knew that it was a value of ours as a church. Um, and I, again, it, it's not always super structured, so I was like, I'm not sure, maybe you should talk to Dante and... I guess she did, and one thing led to another, and now she's been meeting with Jen for, for a while, uh, maybe a few months, uh, and uh, I was able to ask Lauren kind of, well, hey, what does that look like? How has that been for you? Um, she told me, you know, they've been connecting about once a week, uh, sometimes in person, sometimes over the phone, which is cool, like, if you don't have time to meet in person, like, that shouldn't hold you back from doing this either, Right. Um, so they've been doing that sometimes in person, sometimes over the phone. They've been reading through this book on spiritual disciplines. Uh, They've been praying together and just hanging out and getting to know each other better. And I remember being really excited when Lauren came up to talk to me a few months ago uh, because it was so great to see someone who recognized uh, that need to grow um, and that knew that she couldn't do it on her own. She knew that she needed uh, someone else in her life to to push her and to, to teach her. Uh, and she acted on it also instead of waiting for it to come to her. So if you're looking for something like that, uh, be like Lauren. Be bold and, and ask someone that you know, someone that's already in your community even, right, uh, to to be that for you. And if you don't have anyone in your, in your immediate community that comes to mind, like uh, talk to a home group leader or a, a parent even or me or someone else on staff and like let us help you figure out what this could look like, right? Uh, And so the last group that I wanted to share about is actually mine. Um, And I was going to have um, my good buddy uh, Doug Millar Millar come up and share about it Um, and and not have him tell you guys that I'm in it because I didn't want it to seem like I'm like tooting my own group horn or something. Um, But again, didn't work out time-wise, so here I am. Now you guys know. Secrets. Secrets out. Um, But... Uh, this group uh, started about six months ago. It's me and Doug, and uh, some of you guys might know Andrew Midiot, or you might remember Drew Odecky, who was a part of our Solano family for a few years uh, and just uh, left when he uh, finished his master's program about a month ago. Uh, but the four of us have been meeting for about six months, uh, and honestly, it's, it's been the highlight of my week, like most weeks. Uh, Every Friday morning, we meet at 7 a.m., so it was before anyone had lab or school or work or anything like that, Uh, and we would eat breakfast together, Uh, we would share how things in life were going, Uh, we would study the word, and we would pray for each other. Uh, and we all took turns like leading discussion, picking a Bible passage, and coming to the group with it. Uh, it wasn't like one person was the leader or in charge of this group. Uh, all of us were between 22 and 27, uh, so so really similar, you know, peer group, similar life stage, asking a lot of the same questions. Uh, and because of that, I think you know we're all able to relate to each other and also to challenge each other and help each other grow as we're wrestling through a lot of the same things. Uh, and then through this as well, like we've grown a lot closer as friends. Uh, like, they're some of the first people that I turn to when I have prayer requests or just life updates in general. So, yeah, like, I really can't say enough about how much that group, that consistent time with those guys and just those relationships have meant to me uh, in my life and my walk with God for the past uh, year or so. So, right, we have, we have these three groups. Um, I want you guys to notice how different they all are, right? They all meet different purposes. They meet at different times, are composed of different types of people, and, and none of them is like the right way to do it. Uh, again, there's no cookie cutter formula, but neither of them is wrong either, right? So I just want to encourage you guys, think through those things and think through for yourself, like, wh- what does this look like for you? Who are the people in your life, particularly people maybe who you've known already, who you're friends with, um, and specifically if you really want to grow, who are people who are different from you that you could do this together with? And I should also say, Emmaus, as you know, Emmaus partnerships, as we talk about it in the church, uh, it isn't this super structured thing where you like sign up and we put you in a group. Uh, It's it's meant to be organic, just to kind of come out of your community. It's just this thing that we want to encourage you guys to lean into. Um, But yeah, so just be thinking who are the people in your life that you could be doing this with? Cool. So we've talked through these passages, right? We have these three snapshots. Uh, of different people, the way that they've engaged in community, and, and what it's done for them. But there's one major part of this passage that we haven't touched on yet, um, and, and it's, it's vital that we do to have a complete understanding of what's being communicated here. Um, like it, it wouldn't be fair to the bigger picture of, of what this is saying uh, if we just kind of skimmed over this and, and told ourselves that, oh, community is the answer to all of life's problems, Right. So if we look at verses 15 and 16, right there at the end, uh, kind of concluding the story of uh, our our wise and humble youth from this last section, verses 15 and 16 reads, uh, I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. And there is no limit to all the people who were before them. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. So we have this guy who, as we've talked, as we've kind of studied so far, right, we almost think is being hailed as like this hero who's doing it the right way, right? He's lived humbly. Uh, he's surrounded himself with community that encourages him and helps him to be a better person. Uh, and with that support, he's succeeded like literally as much as you could in the world, right? He's king. And, and not just that, but like he's a righteous king. He's done it the right way, or at least that's implied, right? Um, but still... It's futile. Like, he, he's the hero of, of our, our, our sermon so far, right? But it's still, he's living this futile life. It's meaningless. So if we've been talking about community as this vital piece of how our lives ought to be, then how is it uh, that a life lived in community is still meaningless? So uh, look back at verse 9 real quick, if you will, um, when we first made the transition into the story of our person and community. Um, yeah, the, f- the first words in verse 9, I think they give us a little bit of a hint if we look at the language. Uh, it says, two are better than one. And that's what I've titled this sermon. Like, that's what we've been alerting uh, this morning. If you have to, like, distill it down into, like, a short but sweet uh, little bit, right? Uh, but I think it's important to acknowledge that that word better doesn't necessarily mean best. It doesn't necessarily mean correct. Uh, and it definitely doesn't mean complete, right? Uh, community is an important component that we need to have in our lives, uh, but it isn't everything. Similar to, to work and success and all those things, if we're putting all of our eggs in that community basket, like people still can and still will let us down as well right? from time to time. So this is where it's important for us to have an understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, like I was saying before, Right. Uh, Because this passage is just a footnote in the larger picture of what the entire text is trying to say. So if we look to the very end of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, and and you don't have to turn there, Um, I'll just read it really quickly, but these are the last uh, two verses of the entire book, right? And the author says, when all this has been heard, so, so in conclusion, right, as a result of all of these things that we've been saying throughout the book, chapter 4 and everything else. The conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all of humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So we see here, right, that all things, even the good things in life, are futile. They're still meaningless if they're done apart from God only God is lasting, only he's eternal, right? He's he's given us things such as community to be a blessing to us in the midst of this dark and broken world that we're living in right now, but only in him can we find this true and lasting meaning and purpose and joy. And I don't think it's a stretch also to take everything that we've learned about community so far, right? This idea of two is better than one uh, and relay that into the idea of uh, a relationship with God. In fact, I think it makes a lot of sense when you take this passage that we, that we read, right, chapter 4, uh, and its emphasis on community, and you combine that with a larger context of the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, pointing to God being the ultimate source and meaning of joy uh, in life, right? It, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's like a natural conclusion to be like, wow, wouldn't it be so cool if we could have community with God? Like, that would be the best thing, right? Um, And the really great part about this, and a lot of us know this, is that we can, right? And and we shouldn't be able to. Like, it doesn't make sense that we can because, you know, God is holy and perfect and righteous. And we are broken people. We're we're sinful. We rebel against him constantly. We disobey him. He has this design that we just can't get behind. and, And we ruin our lives, right, when he's just trying to love us. Uh, but Jesus took all of that sin and rebellion and brokenness for us on the cross, and He died that death that we deserve to die, so that we could have that relationship between us and God be restored. Right, and the effects of Jesus, uh, the effects of Jesus' death on the cross didn't just reconcile our relationship uh, between us and him, between us and God, right? Uh, That and securing for us, like, our future with God for all of eternity in heaven. Those are the two things that are probably, like, in contention for the best things that he did for us. And we talk about those the most. But it's also really important that we recognize that his work on the cross reaches beyond just our relationship with him and beyond uh, just heaven, right, and into uh, so many other things, like, all of our created order, he broke the hold that sin has on us as individuals. He broke the, the, the hold that sin has on the world that we live in. He's, he's working on restoring the created order back to the way that it was initially designed by God to be. And the one thing that we should take away from this as it relates to what we're talking about with community uh, is that Jesus has also restored our ability to be in whole and healthy and uplifting relationships with each other. So when I think about this principle, I think of uh, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, uh, which is in Luke 24, and it's the passage where we get uh, Emmaus partnerships from, which we talked about. Uh, And and you have these two disciples, you don't have to turn there, but we have these two disciples that are walking along the road, uh, and it's right after Jesus' death, uh, and it's also right after his resurrection, but these disciples don't know yet that he's been resurrected. And in verse 15 of chapter 24 it says the disciples are walking and discussing. and uh, some translations, like mine actually says that the disciples are arguing, right? Uh, there, there's some tension here. They're confused, like Jesus just died and they don't know what to do with that and they're trying to figure it out, but they just can't. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up with them. And this is crazy to me, right? Before they even realize it's Jesus, like if you don't know this passage, go read it because it, it's really weird. Like Jesus shows up with them and he's walking with them. And it says that they're, they're kept from knowing that it's him at first. Um, and, and so he's, he's walking, he's talking with them. They don't even know that it's Jesus. And even before they, they know that it's him, he's already bringing peace and unity and clarity to their lives and back into their relationship with each other, right? So even though it's true that God designed us for relationships, we, 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 and, and we sh- uh, shouldn't try to do life on our own apart from people, right? Like we've established that. But it's also important for us to recognize that even life with people, if it's apart from life with God, is meaningless. And we have this need for both, right? I, I, I'm definitely not saying that we should just, that just life with God is enough. Like, there's kind of this cycle, this relationship between the way that we do life with God and the, life, and the way that we do life with people. Uh, you know, we have Jesus and our relationship with him, and obviously that's central, Uh, And everything that we need to live a full and complete life can be found in Jesus. And we need him even to be able to be in good relationships with each other, right? We talked about that as well. But we also need relationships with each other. We need people around us uh, to be able to walk well with Jesus. We can't follow Jesus in isolation any better than the old foolish king was able to run his country, right? Right? So let me pray for us, and the band can come back up. Um, God, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done on the cross. Um, Not just to reconcile us to yourself, but also uh, to reconcile us to each other, uh, to bring order back into the world, God. We just pray that you would help us to search our lives, God, search our priorities, uh, the things that we're chasing after, that the pursuits that we have in life. Uh, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts to see the ways uh, that you're working in us, God, but also the ways that you are, uh, or that, that we are rebelling from you, and the things that we're, we're putting our, our security in that aren't going to bring that meaning. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in to, to give us the power and the desire to, to break down those idols that we have. Um, and to, to have the strength, to have the love and the desire for you, God, to, to actually see and seek the change in our lives that are going to bring wholeness and completion, uh, whether that's uh, a change in the way that we engage with people around us or a change in the way that we uh, do life with you, God, if we're not making time for those things, uh, if, if we're empty, if we're broken, God, we just pray that you would uh, help us to see those things, uh, break our hearts for you, uh, help us to see the love that you have for us. And um, God, I just pray that we would have the strength, the desire as a church, um, individually as well as corporately. God, I pray that you uh, would help us to come alongside each other, uh, to help us to reorder our lives in a way where where you are truly king of everything that we're doing. So yeah, we love you, Father. We, we give you today oh, in Jesus' name. Amen.